0: Changemakers LA podcast presented by LISC Los Angeles. The Changemakers LA podcast is a tribute to the people and the policies that work to make Los Angeles neighborhoods good places to live, work and play. I'm Tanua Thrash Intuk, the Executive Director of the Local Initiative Support Corporation's Los Angeles office. Today, we're discussing homelessness and housing in the wake of COVID-19. In today's conversation, I'm joined by Acting Executive Director at the Incredible Housing, uh, an incredible housing nonprofit partner to LISC LA, and that's PATH, People Assisting the Homeless. Uh, Lois Starr is with us. Lois joins us today with over 40 years of experience in affordable housing and a history of a leadership uh, path at PATH Ventures which is an organization that's doing work in employment, homeless prevention, as well as housing development, both locally as well as nationally. Welcome, and thanks for joining us, Lois. Thanks, and I'm very happy to be here. Great. We also have with us Laura Vandewey. She's the Chief Operating Officer at a leading nonprofit affordable housing developer, Decrow Corporation. Laura oversees Decro's expanding portfolio of affordable housing and current developments. Liskale LA is a proud funder of one of their developments, which we'll talk about today. It's called the Brine. It's a mixed-use development that brings together housing, healthcare, and access to fresh foods all in one location. Uh, thanks for joining us, Laura. Thank you for having me. And lastly, here with us is Tommy Newman. Senior Director at United Way of Los Angeles. Tommy's work focuses on the long-term, county-wide organizing effort to end homelessness here in Los Angeles County. Tommy has played a critical role in launching the Everyone In campaign and past efforts on supporting the campaigns of Measure H and Proposition HHH. Tommy, great to have you on the line today.
1: Thanks for having me, Tanoa.
0: Well, I want to thank all of you for being here today with me to discuss this really pressing challenge, not only in our city, but in the entire region of LA County. Now more than ever, over the past few months, COVID-19 has really emphasized the importance of the work that's being done to support those who are most at risk of not uh, having access to housing. In the most recent annual ha- housing count, the number of people in LA County experiencing homelessness was up more than 13% in the last year. That was up to 66,000 individuals. And that doesn't even take into account the recent effects of COVID-19 or the 120,000 households who are at risk of eviction once the eviction moratorium expires this coming September. So Tommy, I'm gonna turn to you first uh, to comment on this and, and to just talk about what's happening. You know, you're a key leader in the Everyone In campaign you've got your finger on the pulse in the city and in the region, you know who's most at risk uh, for experiencing homelessness right now here in 2020. How do you think COVID-19 has amplified the existing issue of needing to house uh, Angelinos? and to what magnitude can we really expect homelessness to increase as a result of the COVID-19 crisis?
1: Well, I appreciate the question and I, I would say um, I might, I might- the word from magnified to clarified. I mean, before this pandemic hit, we already had 600,000 people in LA County who were spending 90% of their income on housing. Um, So that was uh, over half a million people who, if one thing went wrong, uh, they were very likely to lose their stable housing. Uh, This pandemic is is more than one thing, um, but it focuses all of us on what is now even more than 600,000 people who are at risk at any moment of losing their housing. And I think in the same way that we've seen this nationally sort of focus the conversation around how broken our system truly is, uh, what a failure our housing system is, the lack of supports that we have, uh, the the same applies to homelessness here in LA County. And so I'm actually optimistic uh, that this, moment will help wake people up and create an army of folks who are willing to push for real systemic change in a way that we've struggled to get in the past. I'll be honest and say, for the last two years, we've tried to get folks to pay attention to local government and budgets and all of the things that now have somehow bubbled to the top in a way that I'm deeply grateful for, and I think we all are, to really better understand where our tax dollars going, how is our system working or not working, and what does it take to fix it? I think Mm -hmm. this is a unique opportunity to do just that.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an issue that you believe has already been magnified. But I love this idea that COVID 19 has clarified that um, there are already, there were already half a million people with one thing going wrong, uh, let alone a health pandemic, an economic crisis, um, a racial awakening, all of these things all of a sudden happening at once. Uh, That's that many more people who uh, could be. Unhouse, you know, their stability and housing could be taken from them. So, Laura, let's get into a conversation around uh, the fact that we know the numbers are rising, right? We just talked about the fact that in 2020, just looking at January 2020, the numbers were up again, um, and we don't know, uh, you know, what that means even in terms of COVID. But what are your thoughts? about an, as an affordable housing developer, you're out there right now, you know, trying to put new units on the line. Um, And when you see those numbers rise like that, what are your thoughts about that? How do you respond?
2: My first response is to think about our existing tenants, right, because as a developer, we have not only new product that we're trying to build as quickly as possible, but we have uh, entire buildings that are full of tenants who are the most vulnerable. So uh, it goes to their health and safety first and foremost, and, and then making sure that everything we do uh, in the future is keeping everyone's health and safety at the forefront. So with the tenant centered mindset, uh, looking at our existing operations, we wanted to make sure that all of our buildings were following the ultimate safety protocols uh, for their health and wellness. We did have an outbreak in not an outbreak, but one individual uh, tenant that uh, apparently did test positive. So immediately make sure that the balance of that building was was safe and it didn't spread further and happy to report to our knowledge, it, it did not. Um, and then you look to, of course, um, new construction and trying to, to translate the commitment by the city and, and, and by us to building new housing as quickly as possible and uh, honestly, there's a fair amount of fear of how are we going to process these any faster, given the immediate shutdown of entire city governments, entire city departments. We have still today um, there are certain departments where they do not come in, and um, you don't <laughs> you don't see an individual for plan check. We weren't able to even uh, send in checks for permitting. So, um, but like. Tell me, I am hopeful because we did see pretty quickly a mobilization across city government to identify ways that, where we could process things faster. And again, the speed at which we are going to build this product is is really the most important thing because not only do we have to respond to the prior crisis, but the one that's coming. And making sure that um, we identify the clearest, most efficient path forward as an entire ecosystem to build this housing. Um, for safety.
0: Yeah, so Laura, I mean, it's, uh, you've got a active portfolio of, um, you know, sort of lots of tenants who are in your building. So you're trying to manage that, not only their health, but they probably also have financial strains as well. Um, so that's an issue. And you know, then looking to the future and trying to figure out how much more and how quickly how much more quicker can you build when you've got uh, a, a covid nineteen crisis and systems are just not working. They're not working at all or they're not working fast enough. Um, so Lois, even as we look at um, when Laura's talking about, you know, she's looking at her portfolio, she's looking forward to new development. Um, and we have had a few measures, Tommy's been successful at getting these measures out there. So we've had measure H, we have proposition HHH, um, and yet the numbers are going up. And so what? given what we're seeing, um, do you think that that is going to be enough to curb the kinds of uh, trend lines that we're seeing in LA regarding homelessness?
3: Actually, thank you for that question. Actually, I don't see that that is going to be enough before I talk about that, I just want to echo what Laura said. Uh, our portfolio, luckily, is predominantly permanent supportive housing, so we have people with fixed incomes, not people who are at work and at risk of losing their jobs. But nevertheless, it's been very traumatic and very trying for everyone. But so far, our portfolio is very healthy. In terms of our housing development activities, Path Ventures is the housing arm of Path, which is the largest nonprofit agency in California whose mission is to end homelessness. And uh, we're looking to innovation. Yes, we're still doing the same affordable housing, permanent supportive housing, tax credit deals, but we understand that that can't be the total way into the future. So we're looking at um, utilization of some of the CARES Act money. We are partnering with HACLA to do a Project Home Key, which was to go out and purchase and a, a vacant apartment hotel, uh, u- utilizing the COVID care dollars and working with PATH to get, working with HACLA, excuse me, to get project based vouchers, we will be able to open this particular apartment complex within four months. So instead of 18 months or two years, it's going to open by the first of the year. So we're continually striving to look at new models because we're, we are worried that we won't have enough funding.
0: That's great. And now is the time to get to testing on that. And part of um, what we're seeing is that we're reaching this, a critical point, right? in this battle against homelessness. Um, we've got, we've seen a rising need for additional services, additional units. Um, and, you know, so let's talk about how we, where we are in 2020 and how we rethink our approach. So Tommy, the United Way, you've already talked about it. You've started this conversation even today. Um, You've talked about the fact that systems have to change. Um, And we heard this word a lot. And certainly most recently, when it comes to looking at the effects of COVID-19, as well as uh, protests around uh, over racial uh, inequities. Um, What does making systematic change uh, really mean? And how does the United Way set an example of systematic change, particularly on your work around poverty and homelessness and ending it? Can we hear you, Tommy? Looks like we've got some technical difficulties there. Um, We will uh, come back to Tommy once uh, we're able to get him back on the line. Um, so, Laura, let's talk about um, this race uh, to keep up with the need for affordable housing uh, you know, how are structural systems? You started to mention um, some specific areas that are slowing us down. Um, how are those uh, w- what's happening out there? What are some of those structural systems that are slowing us down? And I'd love for you and Lois to both think about, you know, what could we do? if we could instate a change today to create a path that would make it easier, uh, faster, and some would say maybe less expensive, how do we get more affordable housing in place? So what's holding us back? And then let's start to look at the future.
2: So what's holding us back uh, today, I think has been in place for a while. um, And that is, these affordable housing developments, of course, require massive subsidies that as de- good developers will will grab a subsidy from any any location that we can, so as to minimize you know the the, the uh, burden on the tenants. So we have to coordinate with the city, with the with the county, with the state, with the federal government, just on the macro level. And then on the micro level, of course, there's coordination uh, through the plan check process, where each city department has to um, participate in the approval process from planning at the very beginning, through building the safety, through, you know, city engineer's office. Um, We have street trees, we have bureau street trees, bureau street lighting, Um, in some cases, public art where there's a commercial piece. So what I have found is, you know, with the siloed approach at city hall, and in some cases uh, also at the county, and in some cases also at the state and all the way on, you know, it's just having to jump from bucket to bucket to bucket, um, and, and so you're really really playing whack-a-mole. You know, it feels like at times trying to, to get ahead of, of the next item. And we're a nonprofit, we're mission-driven, we're focused on the end goal, which is addressing affordable housing. Um, I think it would be really helpful if the public sector got on board with also a mission-driven approach and they started looking at the incentives, you know, they're very good at doling out the support. However, the action to back up those policy initiatives, actually putting that policy into practice, that seems to be where there's the disconnect. Um, and and focus less on, like I said, you know, the policy in many cases is good and well-intentioned but where it puts up a roadblock for every single silo that we now have to jump into, um, that's where there's, this has only been further um, amplified, these problems in the very difficult um, world where you can't go and have a meeting face-to-face with each of these groups, does that make sense? Um, but in some ways, the opportunities of COVID-19, because we're all zooming our way through the system okay, uh, truly, um, I think it creates tremendous opportunity that may not have been there otherwise. So I certainly don't wanna go back to pre-COVID ways and I would really challenge the public sector to um, look forward to new innovative ways for a, more of a, a you know a mission-driven systems approach. I'd like to say on this.
0: Yeah, Lois get Lois, he in hear on this one. Yeah, I'd
3: like to piggyback on that with a little bit of good news. Uh, uh, Talking about the public sector, one of the difficulties we've had because of COVID is uh, the referral and lease-up process uh, to the local housing authorities. And as anyone in development knows, you have timelines. And if you don't get your building through inspections and completed and leased up, you risk enormous public dollars uh, both coming into the investor as well as coming into the developer themselves. And uh, I understand that um, one of the issues because of COVID and the long waits for tenants to get approved is that their documentation becomes uh, late. And as you know, there are rules after rules, your social security, your income, your driver's license, they have to be, uh, you know, within a uh, three to four months old, and when that happens, you have to start all over. We can't start all over. Those offices are closed. They're slow, and so what I've learned uh, just today, actually, is there is is a policy change coming to the city and the county where we are going to be allowed uh, to move people in without those updated pieces of documentation and that we will have a year from the time of move-in to get those documentation into the Housing Authority and that's really going to solve that particular problem hopefully so I'm uh, I'm looking forward to more of that I totally agree with Laura that we need leniency and partnership from all of our partners the banking world the investor the tax credit the state government we need to be able to miss some dates if they're COVID related and not get punished and not get held up because we won't develop again if that happens.
0: So you've walked through the very complicated process of being able to develop and get new housing out and all the different partners for those people who don't know what housing development is like. Uh, You've thrown out a lot of like different acronyms and different, you know, bodies. It's not just the public sector. There's also money involved and there's different departments inside various cities that are involved and uh, there's money at different levels in order to get the resources that you need to build this. So all of those things, I love what you said, Laura, too, about wanting to make sure that the public sector is part of wanting to break down those silos and create a mission around sort of the development, so that we can get out of the the whack-a-mole uh, kinds of sort of perspective of you know putting out a fire here, putting out a fire there. Um, Lois sounds like she's put out a fire in one of her programs in one way, um, but you know who who knows what's going to come up uh, the next day. She's alluding to some other challenges that are out there as well. So let's come back to Tommy. You I uh, think we've got you back on the line now, so that's great. Um, you do. So sorry. Great. Well, Tommy, we've talked about the fact that you uh, have already brought up and brought in the term systems change, and that's what's needed in order uh, to be able to to get to a solution on this. Um, So what does it mean to have systems change? Uh, We've got COVID-19, we've got racial inequities in our homelessness issues. Um, How does the United Way Uh, work on systems change to change the trajectory of poverty and
1: homelessness in in our county? Well, that right there could be an entire show, but to keep it uh, short and sweet, I would say, um, we try to use private dollars, philanthropic dollars to incentivize our big public systems to do new things that they previously have not been doing. Because we know that there is nothing that will ever match the scale and resources of government. And so we have to have high expectations for government, and we have to be able to push it to change. And so the best example I have right now, this is a live example, uh, would be our Reimagine LA County effort. We're proud to be part of a large coalition, over 100 organizations, uh, who have coaxed and conjoled the Board of Supervisors to place a really groundbreaking uh, ballot measure on the November 3rd ballot, which would uh, require at least 10% of the LA County general fund to be spent on direct community investment and alternatives to incarceration, it does not spend 10% of its dollars on that. Right now, it's more like 2%. In fact, the vast majority go to downstream punishment and incarceration, and that's how we've addressed poverty for generations. And so in the context of changing our system, this would mean on the low end 500 million and ultimately nearly a billion dollars a year for youth development programs, rent subsidies, affordable housing capital, Uh, really the the proven solutions like um, community-based mental health care that we struggle to fund in a really absurd and immoral way. And uh, so we've secured the partnership of the Board of Supervisors and convinced them that we should let the voters uh, permanently change the LA County Charter to ensure that these dollars will always and forever be available for these purposes and that it won't be the subject to whoever is on the board at that time or whatever the budget may or may not be that year. So I think it's a good example, Uh, so many of the programs that we're gonna lift up like the Office of Diversion and Reentry are examples of programs that are you know, a drop in the bucket right now in the context of the county's larger budget, but have been proven to work. And so now it's time to take those to scale and this is how you do it. And so I think that's our best example right now of really turning the ship of government and primarily our public budgets to invest in, in what we all know works uh, to help people end their homelessness and build stable lives.
0: Well, I know I got excited hearing that. I saw Laura and Lois uh, shaking their heads like, yes, we've got a, Lois already said, Laura already said H and HHH, they're great, Tommy. We needed those, but we need some more. Um, and so it's exciting to know that we are looking at ways to systematically change and create more resources upstream. Um, Laura, let's go to you in terms of just talking about the fact that uh, DECRO has been thinking about the connection with health and housing. And so with your project, The Brine, you've been working on this pre-COVID, how does the project The Brine bring together a holistic health focused approach to supportive housing? And hopefully with COVID-19, there's a sort of greater lifting up of understanding the importance of equitable healthcare access and housing and how the two go hand in hand.
2: Thanks for letting us profile the project. Um, so the BRINE intends to really increase access, right? It's really about providing access to healthcare on site for those most vulnerable. And I view those as, uh, in, in the case of the Brian, it's three groups. Uh, that population will be a, uh, that, I'm sorry, that development will be a multi generational population of seniors, transitional age youth, as well as survivors of domestic violence, all with different healthcare needs. Um, mental health is, is paramount. So um, having the on site supportive services, of course, will, We'll address that for all of them but uh, especially in the case of the seniors our goal with the population and that population is to best serve them there on-site by building medical office space in the area adjacent to our supportive housing development um, in addition by increasing access to uh, nutritional opportunities and and services through an on-site grocery store uh, we've included community-serving retail space in the development as well. Um, this did take some structural gymnastics on the part of financing. So to do that, it, it is a what's called a new market tax credit project, as well as a low-income housing tax credit project for the affordable housing side of the development. But um, given that this population in particular, uh, in this neighborhood in particular, is uh, in a food desert, meaning there is not access to fresh foods immediately in the area around. We felt it was very important that we address some of the concerns of the immediate neighborhood um, by providing that access. And then, in addition, um, the medical office space, the goal there is that it first and foremost meets the needs of our um, on site population. But in in addition to that, looks to the surrounding neighborhood and what's missing there in terms of access to preventative medical care, um, as well as you know follow on care. And I don't think any of us um, could value more access to healthcare than we do today, post you know the the COVID experience for all of us. I don't know if you know any of you have been able to. Uh, utilize telemedicine services. I know I, I myself have um, but you know I still I have young children and knowing that I could take them to a safe doctor's office that you know wasn't at the ER, which is in many communities the only place where they can get medical care. I mean, none of us want, want to be t- anywhere near a, an ER at the moment. So taking advantage of the fact that we are um, we're building new buildings, I think we should be thoughtful around not just housing individuals that are most vulnerable, but also providing access to health care in, in every opportunity that we can.
1: Thanks,
0: Laura. That was powerful. I mean, thinking about the vision that you've had for this project, um, even pro before- Pre COVID and knowing how important uh, health is to housing. Um, And Lois, I think, uh, you know, if you could just help us and and we're going to close out here. Um, Essentially, you know, we're seeing that, you know, healthcare is critical and it's a critical piece of making sure that communities have what they need, but housing has also, you know, hit the top of the agenda as well. Um, How do you think uh, we will be responding really? Um, as, you know, folks in Los Angeles and across the state uh, to this uh, clarity uh, that Tommy has uh, reminded us on in terms of what it means to make sure that everybody's housed?
3: Well, I've been in this uh, business a very long time. Uh, I was at the county for 15 years running the Community Development Commission's housing programs, and we have been uh, talked about housing for health and connecting health to housing in all those years back, I think all the way back to 2007, but it only really became uh, a reality in the last few years. Uh, Pat, from PATH's point of view, uh, you know, we have a huge clinical side on PATH. The housing development side is relatively small. We're only like five staff. But PATH has 700 people all over the state of California, from Sacramento to San Diego. And we have a diversity uh, of staff from employment specialists, health specialists, psychologists, social workers, case managers, uh, and you name it. And when PATH Ventures goes in to build housing, PATH is already there. They're on the streets, they're doing outreach, they're doing interim housing, and we come in and work with them and with the cities, the local cities, and build what's needed. And we already have the infrastructure from PATH. So we have the connections to health, the connections to mental health, the connections to employment, the connections to veteran services, the connections to children's services. And um, we're just moving in that direction, and hopefully, with Tommy's great work with the Board of Supervisors and getting this passed. It's gonna be a big education program for the public to get them to vote for it, but um, I think we can do it. And I think that's the pathway to the future.
0: That was great, Lois. So Tommy, is, is there anything else you wanna share with our listeners out there? I feel like you know today who they've heard from is you in terms of you know United Way and other partners demanding that systematic change, going out there, pushing to make sure that the capital is on the table, um, Lois, the two parts of path, uh, taking those resources and making sure that people have those support services that they need in place wherever they are on the street and in community. And then with you and Laura, really, you know, in the work that you're doing as developers, uh, making sure that there are long term places that we can place people. Tell me anything before we close out.
1: I would just encourage uh, folks to not get discouraged. I know when we mm-hmm. are here. Uh, in LA and in the United States in this moment, we feel a lot of despair uh, and not a lot of optimism or hope. But I think the challenges that we are talking about here today, our housing affordability crisis, our homelessness crisis, are challenges that other countries and other people around this world have solved, have figured out how to solve. And so we just need to look beyond our own borders to have confidence that if we invest in the things we know work, and if we push hard enough, we can absolutely solve these big challenges.
0: Excellent. Well, I wanna thank you all for being a part of this conversation today. Uh, To you, Lois, Laura, and Tommy, it was a pleasure to hear from you all today. Um, You've talked about the critical issues and what we need to consider, but you've also reminded us that there is a network of people who are out there pushing to ensure that we get to a place of solving this. So as our conversation comes to a close, be sure to continue to learn more about how local governments can move the needle forward on housing our most in need, what we call home, uh, in our housing toolkit on the Los Angeles List website. It outlines some best practices that cities can use to respond to this growing housing crisis as well as the health and economic crisis. We hope this toolkit will be a vital piece of assistance to planning for an unprecedented future. This episode of Changemakers LA was made possible by our partner, Wells Fargo. If you'd like to learn more about how to provide critical support for affordable housing at LISC LA, please visit us online at www.lisc.org backslash Los Angeles. And follow us on Twitter at LISC underscore LA. You can find the most recent series of uh, our program on iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to hear more conversations about the people and places that shape Los Angeles.